eyes peeled, everyone. It's time for the full 10 Yards College Football Podcast. Hello and welcome to the full 10 Yards College Football Podcast. You're listening to Maxwell. This is um, the revolution because uh, Lee isn't here today, uh, so I'll be hosting. First time doing this. And um, I've got with me uh, Thomas today. How are you, Thomas? I'm good, thank you, mate. Yourself? Yeah, feeling good. Happy to uh, get into it. You know, we're all done with the regular season now. Got the bowls ahead and um, uh, exciting time for college football. Yeah, indeed. In the words of Jim Mora, it's playoffs. <laughs> Exactly. So um, let's uh, let's get into some of the results from this past weekend, and um, then we'll talk uh, briefly about some of the news, like the coaching carousel and some of the changes that have happened there, as well as a bit of a look forward to the bowls. So first up, it's time for the full ten yards roundup. Previous play is under review. Let's start off with Georgia versus LSU. So I think we were. Uh, going into the game, all expecting um, LSU to win, um, but ended up being a pretty convincing 37-10 victory in Baton Rouge. What were your thoughts here, Thomas? It was one of the most one-sided SEC championship games I can remember in a while. Um, Georgia just couldn't get anything going all game. And there was a point where Jake Fromm got stood on by his offensive lineman, was it? He was pushed back. And yep. as soon as Fromm got even remotely hurt, the game just never looked like it was going to turn around at any point. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. The combination of DeAndre Swift only getting two carries, which apparently wasn't injured, um, which is strange to, to see. And um, from obviously picking up a bit of a knock there, you know, between, between those things, Georgia just never got going. But I think they were really met with a pretty game and pretty um, – talented uh, LSU defence. Um, have you seen a better LSU defensive performance this year? Not that I can think of. They just completely neutralised every weapon that Georgia had. And like Stingley, was it, had the one interception that was... In, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but he got the, I think he got the one pick and it was just like... The LSU secondary at this point looks like it's easily the best in the country and they are going to shut down whatever team they have to play. Jake Fromm had nowhere to put the ball. And then obviously uh, no running from DeAndre Swift basically made the Georgia offense super one-dimensional. And LSU just took advantage. It wasn't particularly pretty. And I'll be honest with you, I really hope Jake Fromm goes back to school based on this performance. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's hard to say because he didn't look his best. Obviously, you know, um, in completion percentage and through two not pretty picks. Um but it was a very strange game for Georgia. LSU, a couple of weeks ago against uh, Mississippi State, they, 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 I think Mississippi State ran for some crazy, like 300 yards. And that's only a few weeks ago. Um, and then in this game, they were so aggressive, so game to stop that run. And I'm not sure what the story is behind DeAndre Swift. Uh, apparently, he seemed healthy, seemed fine. So obviously, there's more that we'll find out there. But as soon as that run game was shut down, they weren't clearly weren't the team that could um, pass to victory. And maybe that's because of Jake Fromm, but as you mentioned, he had his own O-line in his face for most of the game. Before we move on, is there anything from um, uh, anything to mention about Jake Burrow or that offense, LSU offense, we should talk about? 
I mean, they just took advantage of what Georgia's defense gave them. Georgia was trying to stop the pass, and there was times where Burrow was just running wide open up the field. He only got 41 yards total rushing, but he made his runs count, and it was every time because obviously he got four passing touchdowns, looked perfect throughout the game. And every time he dropped back, the DBs would just drop into man, and they just had all the room in the world. It just it was just flawless from LSU, and I, I cannot see a team beating this team going forward. Borough has had the perfect season and was flawless. That's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> uh, I think that's a very um, nice little sneak peek towards your uh, predictions for the playoffs there because, um, yeah, he was excellent. His run game was good as well. Um, another big game from Justin Jefferson and Mar Chase had a few big catches in there. Uh, such a talented... Um, Talented offense, and uh, it's going to be fascinating to see what they do in the playoffs. Um, so they've now got first overall rank, I believe. So they'll be playing Oklahoma in the first round, uh, whereas the other semifinal will be Ohio State uh, Clemson. Um, we're not going to talk about that today. Let's move on to a couple of the other championship games. What were your thoughts of Utah, Oregon, and Oregon uh, snatching the Pac-12 championship? Why did Oregon have to ruin it for everybody? Um, <laughs> I wanted to see Utah, but having watched them lose that badly to Oregon, because I'll be honest with you, the 15 points kind of flatters Utah. They were pretty terrible the entire game. And let's be honest, it was mainly Oregon's defense. Like Kayvon Thibodeau had four tackles, two and a half sacks, and was in Huntley's face all game, because Herbert was not impressive. He had like 193 yards and a touchdown. Didn't really run. It was all on end. CJ Bedell, like 208 rushing yards and three touchdowns. <laughs> like, that's incredible against a good Utah defense, it must be said. Excellent. You know, they've had such a good year, uh, that Utah D. Um, pretty much every game, um, they've, they've had some level of dominance. I mean, I think I read somewhere that the only game all year where they gave up more than four yards of rush was Washington State. But Washington State obviously only run the ball about five times a game. So that's not a surprise. Um, and then this game, they give up the three touchdowns, which is basically as many rushing touchdowns as they've given up all year long. Um, and Oregon, which I don't think anyone could have expected, kind of bullied them on the line. Um, you know, they've got these big boys in there, like Lefty Botu and, and um, Utah certainly couldn't handle it. Uh, and I, I think as you alluded to as well, on the... On the other side of the ball, definitely Oregon's best defensive performance of the year. Um, uh, from a, yeah, from a defensive perspective, they were all over the place. Any um, any individuals to pick out from the game, or anything else you want to mention? Um, whilst he was on the losing team and he didn't get a touchdown, like Zach Moss was the only real guy on Utah's offense to do anything. He, like he ran the ball 19 times, got 113 yards, but he seemed to be the only guy that looked like he could score. Whereas the rest of the offense, like Huntley, yeah, he got two touchdowns, but he got two interceptions and wasn't he got less than 200 yards passing. But um, a question I wanted to ask you was like, have you? I'm assuming you've watched more Oregon games than me because they literally didn't allow a point in the first, second, or fourth quarter. Do they usually come out in the third quarter quite slow? Because Utah got all 15 of their points in that one quarter. To be honest, they come out most quarters slow. The Oregon defense has been really up and down and pretty poor all year. I've been relatively disappointed with them because even though they've had some good performances and some good halves, they just really haven't put it together. 
Um, but in this game, um, they really committed to defending that run early on. And although Zach Moss's um, box score is pretty flattering and he's a very good player, um, the amount of times that Utah were in a third and long situation, shocking. Um, we had to, we, we, for the first time all year, we saw Tyler Huntley being forced to pass the ball and um, we hadn't really seen uh, Oregon's defense do that all year. Uh, but it turns out their DB core is pretty handy. Uh, they took the ball away twice. I could have taken it away a few more times as well. Huntley really struggled. Um, so uh, almost a, a surprise defensive um, showing from, um, from Oregon there. Uh, really, really impressive to see them come out and, and try and dominate or, or successfully dominate the, the pass game like that. Um, so fair play to them. And uh, Johnny Johnson deserves a big shout out as well, the wide receiver who pretty much sealed the game in the first half. Um, you know, Utah, if anyone's watched them, they play a lot of man coverage. They put their defensive backs on an island. And Johnny Johnson just uh, took their lunch, you know. <laughs> he uh, one big touchdown and two or three big catches in the first half to seal the, uh, seal the victory. Yeah, it was like a dominating performance and Utah just had no answers, like you said. Um, again, thank you, Oregon, for ruining the Pac-12's chance at playoffs. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, Pac-12 continues in its um, form of, you know, stealing uh, uh, stealing wins from each other and not allowing anyone to get to the playoffs. But talking about the playoffs, uh, let's uh, move over to the Baylor-Oklahoma game because the beneficiary of the Georgia and Utah losses was the former number six seed, Oklahoma Sooners. Jalen Hurts led his side to a playoff uh, berth and um, you know after their um, really surprising and disappointing loss to Kansas State they've now had two uh, victories against Baylor who have been a fantastic side this season Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see them in the playoffs what did you make of this game? Uh, It was a great game the, the one thing I will say, though, is I honestly think Baylor could have won that if Charlie Brewer didn't get injured because they were down to, like, their third-string quarterback at one point. Yeah, Jacob Zeno I, came in yeah, and threw a, threw a couple of nice passes, actually. Because, um, like, yeah. Brewer got injured on a Kenneth Murray sack. I think he smacked his head off the turf and went out with concussion-type symptoms, which, naturally. But to lose in overtime with your third-string quarterback, it's a hell of an effort from a team. <laughs> against a good Oklahoma offense. Like Jalen Hurts had, I think he had more yards by himself passing than um, Baylor's entire offense. Yeah, he did. Um, he actually passed the ball extremely well. Uh, Baylor couldn't really do anything. I think it's interesting you said about Charlie Brewer. I do think it's quite a, an easy um, uh, conclusion to say that. But to be truth be told, Jerry Bohannon helped move the ball as well as Charlie Brewer could anyway. Um, Brewer is such a limited quarterback. Jerry Bohannon is a very nice kind of mix-up guy. But that, that Oklahoma defense came to play. And in some ways, I think the 23 points was very flattering. Um, so it, it was, for me, the real battle in this game was that Baylor defense versus Jalen Hurts. And it uh, can't be mistaken that uh, Jalen Hurts was held to less than two yards a carry. First time all year he's been held so low. And he had like nearly 25 carries as well. So uh, unbelievable Baylor performance. Um, what did you think of that battle, the uh, Oklahoma versus Baylor D? Uh, it was great. I mean, let's be honest, the only, only one guy for Oklahoma did anything, and that was CeeDee Lamb. Like, 
He had eight catches, 173 yards, and a bunch of them came on that big first quarter play. Um, outside of that, I think the next best, most like the next um, catch was like two or three. Like it was Lamb, and then spread it out to a bunch of different guys, and not really had any production outside of Lamb's 173 yards. Like that's most of the passing yards that Jalen Hurts got, and half, most of that came on one play. So I mean, I haven't watched a lot of Baylor this year. That defensive performance was something special. If their offense had lived up even a little bit, they would have won, in my opinion. I mean, people will say, can say I'm wrong. Like people love Jalen Hurts. I love Jalen Hurts. But if Baylor's offense even stepped up a little bit, I honestly think they would have won that game. Yeah, yeah. It's um, you know, obviously it was a close score. I think the interesting one about C.D. Lamb, he's such a talented player. But if anyone goes back and watches the film, this is really a Lincoln Riley masterclass on how to get the ball into your best player's hands. Um, some of the passes, like the big 71-yard reception, was a, uh, an isolated out route where they manufactured him to be open. He also received kind of a wheel route from the kind of a jet sweep position. He, a number of quick outside rocket screens. Um, Riley did an amazing job of getting the ball into his playmaker's hands. And I think the other person had a really good game who we haven't mentioned yet is Kennedy Brooks, the running back. I know he's... Um, his um, box score doesn't look amazing, but uh, Jalen Hurts was um, man-marked pretty much all game. Every, ru- every single run play, Baylor used their very flexible, interesting 3-3-5 scheme and put either a free safety or an outside linebacker specifically on Hurts. They were trying to stop him from running the ball. And uh, Brooks and Ramondre Stevenson both got a touchdown each, both ran the ball pretty well. And um, at the end of the day, it was that kind of uh, grinding run that kind of took them over the line. So uh, Lincoln Riley did an excellent coaching job. Baylor were an excellent coaching staff. And what a brilliant Big 12 championship game. Um, you know, it really was a good year for these two teams. Um, so even though Baylor didn't make it, a uh, hell, uh, hell of a performance and um, some big-time some big performances there from guys like you said, C.D. Lamb and Kenneth Murray. Um, Anything uh, else to mention on there, or uh, do you want to move on? Uh, yeah, do you think this is the last time we see either Lincoln Riley or Matt Rule as head coaches of Baylor or Oklahoma, respectively? It, what a brilliant question, because we're looking at two fantastic teams who are probably this good because of their coaching staffs. Both of them have got a number of links to the NFL, famously at the moment. Um, so yes, this is a reality. Is that next year neither of these coaching staffs may be there? Um, I think if I had to say, I think Lincoln Riley is more likely to stay because one, I don't think he's going to win the championship this year, and two, I think he wants to win a national championship before he moves to the NFL. He's still only been there for a couple of years, uh, whereas Matt Rule obviously was already taking interviews last season. So I think that means that he's more likely to move on. And if he was already getting interviews last year, he was certainly going to get more of them this year. Um, what do you think? Do you think one of them is more likely to be there or we won't see either of them? Uh, I think Riley's going to stay at Oklahoma because he's got Spencer Rattler next year, doesn't he? Mm, um, he does, potentially yeah. Derek King, who I've been touting to him all year. Um, but Matt Rawls should have been the Jets coach. The fact that they basically agreed with him and then decided they wanted to hire his coaching staff, um, which is ludicrous. So I've got, he's going to end up somewhere. I wouldn't be shocked if he ended up in New York, but with the Giants. Um, but I can't see Rule staying at Baylor after this season. 
Yeah, I think we're on the same page. He, um, it's going to take a, an owner who believes in him, but I think it's pretty easy to believe in him after all he's done in college football. Yeah, the likelihood is he's going to take the exact same staff with him because he's had that same staff at Temple. And Phil Snow, who uh, is in his 60s at this point, you know, he's about 62, 63, the defensive coordinator, he might uh, be old and might have been coaching in the college football for a long time, but he's doing some incredibly different and interesting things on defense. So why wouldn't Matt Rule want to keep him? Um, hopefully he does do uh, well. Do you think uh, Giants will have a better record next year if he goes there? Yeah, he knows how to run an offense. Um, Pat Shermer doesn't, and I say that as a Browns fan who had him as a head coach for at least a year. Um, yeah, they get a guy like Matt Rule. They've got plenty of talent, and obviously they've got Saquon. It's just Daniel Jones in it. I don't really trust him. We're having a quick NFL sidetrack, but I was such a big Pat Shermer fan because he took that, that Keenan... Uh, um, I forgot his name now. What's it called, What's it called by name? Uh, uh, the the Viking, former Vikings quarterback who moved to the Broncos. Case Keenum. Case Keenum. He took the Case Keenum Vikings to the championship game. So I thought, oh, Pat Sherman's going to do it. He's going to do a great job. I know he flamed out in, in uh, Cleveland, but he'll do a good job because look at what he did with Case Keenum. And that offense just has not been the same. Um, so, yeah, Matt Rule, maybe he's the guy to, uh, to take the Giants back to the uh, heights of the um, playoffs. Um, so that is everything from our championship game roundup. Um, I think now the, the next thing we're going to talk about is coaching carousel. In a number of changes in college football over the past week. Um, I think we've, I haven't touched on this yet, but probably biggest news was Chris Peterson left, um, Washington, um, and was replaced by, um, Jimmy Lake, the defensive coordinator. Um, you know, we're not going to touch on that. It was all personal matters down to that. But I think we want to talk about a few different coaches um, who we think stood out as big hires. So uh, where do you want to start here, Thomas? Um, well, let's go with the biggest name. Let's go with Lane Kiffin. Let's go with Lane Kiffin. Yeah, good shout. So to clarify, Lane Kiffin um, has been hired to be uh, Ole Miss, his new head coach, uh, Matt Luke, who I think was only there for a, a year or so. Um, he, he's been uh, let go after after only a few weeks ago, the Ole Miss um, press release saying that he's going to be there for a while. Um, so what do you think of uh, Lane Kiffin for Ole Miss? Um, I'll be honest with you. I'm not really a Lane Kiffin fan. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, it's a good hire in the sense that he has SEC experience. He was at Tennessee in 2009, went seven and six and very quickly left for USC. Um, he was the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach for Alabama for what three years from 2014 to 2016. So he knows the conference. I just think Lane Kiffin is, sounds really horrible, but I think he's more about building the brand of Lane Kiffin than he is actually developing a program, um, which I mean, he's a good, he's a good enough coach. Olmis have been pretty bad for a while, so I suppose they can't get any worse. It's just I, I don't really like Lane Kiffin as a coach. If I'm being honest with you, I think that you know, I think that's fair, and I think you're not the only one who, um, who thinks that. And there's a lot of uh, Lane Kiffin detractors, um, and he, he, to some degree, has brought it on himself with his, um, how do we say his. Uh, his polarizing time at Alabama and, and some of the other things he's done, like uh, kind of were a little bit um, nice to him, to be honest, uh, when it comes to um, 
uh, his time at Tennessee. You know, that was not a successful stop, I don't think, by any measure. Um, however, last couple of years, uh, Florida Atlantic, he has done a good job. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's fair to say that Florida Atlantic are a much better side now than when he joined. Um, I think in their history, I read something like they only had one 10-win season in their history, and, and now he's had... Uh, in his first three years, an 11 and three season and a 10 and three season now, um, going back to the Boca Raton Bowl this year. So he's done some good things. He's shown uh, that he can he can take a side who previously hadn't done a lot special and and um, you know do some different things. Whether he can do it in the SEC, uh, I think there's a lot to be said. Um, anything to be from your perspective about um, that? Roster as it currently stands, the Ole Miss is there anything there which is good for him, or or maybe this is uh, you know not something uh, not going to be a good um, place for him to go. What do you think? Um, I'll be I'll be honest. I don't watch a lot of SEC football because it's I, I tend to think it's kind of overrated. Um, so I don't really know a lot about Ole Miss's team. But I mean, if you have any insights, that'd be great. It would have been great to have Tom on as well for this one, being an SEC guy. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. I mean, they've um, they've definitely got some talent in there. They've got some good guys. Uh, you know, the recruiting game is changing a little bit, and and um, maybe uh, a Mississippi-based um, team like this is is not getting some of the local talent that maybe they once did. But they've certainly got good enough talent to do better than they did this year. Um, sixth in the SEC West, um, you know, they're certainly not going to be happy with that. There's a lot of good coaches now in the SEC, though. So uh, let's see where he goes. I don't have all the faith in him uh, this year, uh, but maybe if he can have a promising season uh, with that offense, then um, we could see some good things in the following year. Um, not sure what's going to happen at FAU now um, after their uh, big season, but he's certainly done some good things. Um, let's move on to the next one. So um, we'll, let's go to uh, Eli Drinkwitz. Um, so he has... Uh, left App State, uh, and he's headed over to Missouri. Uh, what do we think of that? Um, well, well, as you know from the group chat and myself on Twitter, I'm a big drink with Eli Drinkwitz fan. Um, when I had to write the ACC preview for this year, I discussed North Carolina State, and I said that I didn't think they were going to do very well based on the fact that they lost a bunch of talented players such as um, Ryan Finley and Calvin Harmon and Jacoby Myers. But their biggest loss was Eli Drinkwitz. He then went to um, Appalachian State, who we all know they're probably one of the best small call, uh, small schools in the nation. Um, and he went twelve and one, was it? Yeah, yeah. They, uh, well, in the, um, the conference game versus and, and they got two Power Five wins, but they tended to be the best team on the field every time they played. Let's be honest. Um, Missouri needed something different, and they got a guy who had ran a very, very good offense in North Carolina for a couple of years. He went to App State, again, had a very good offense, even though, let's be real, a lot of their competition wasn't the best. And they've got a guy who can go in there and hopefully completely reshape their um, team. My my only real issue with it is when Drinkwitz was um, unveiled by Appalachian State, he said it was a top 25 school and that they weren't a stepping stone to a bigger job. And obviously, Missouri's a bigger job than Appalachian State for most people. So I think it kind of feels a bit 
salty towards Appalachian State going forwards? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's an interesting one because Scott Sattersfield was obviously amazingly successful, um, averaged more than 10 wins a year in his four years of their uh, App State in the Sun Belt, and he really turned around that franchise and, and uh, that Mountaineers program. Um, and then last year he left for Louisville um, uh, after doing such an amazing job. And Satsfield obviously gave Drinkwitz the, the opportunity, and Drinkwitz was you know, the guy after the guy, and no one ever wants to be that. Uh, but he actually surpassed him with 12 wins, which is something that Satsfield never did. Um, so, honestly, fascinating in that sense, um, in the sense that you know, he took over and, and um, got to do something um, uh, better than, than someone who was already amazing and had already done such a great job. I think he's definitely a very good coach. Um, like you said, he there's definitely that level of they're often better than the, the teams that they're playing, and I think that's fair. I think almost every game this year they were, but they North Carolina and South Carolina, you know, are both real legitimate sides. South Carolina obviously famously beat Georgia this year, uh, and North Carolina, although they're not uh, as good as they've been in other years, you know, Mac Brown is doing some good things with that program. So. Um, the fact that he was able to go into uh, North Carolina uh, and rush for, you know, whatever it was, five yards of play and, and um, three touchdowns, and then go into South Carolina and, and win a really close uh, defensive battle. He's definitely done some good things. He's a good coach. Um, I think maybe you've pointed out his biggest downfall, which is his, um, not, I don't want to call him a liar, but, you know, his... Um, his ease at leaving a program who he said he wasn't going to leave uh, quickly, um, which is fair, right? Very fair. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll see what he does. But Missouri have got a very talented uh, program. So uh, hopefully uh, he can do some good things. Do you have faith in him for next year? I do, yeah. Um, I, I don't really know what that QB situation is now that Kelly Bryant's leave, he's gone after this year, isn't he? At least, um, yeah. So we'll see what happens with their quarterbacks. But... He's proven he can make average quarterbacks like Ryan Finley look good, so you never know. Yeah, I mean, look at all the guys that went to the NFL from that team. Um, I don't know if that's a reflection on him or whether they made him look good. It's always hard to tell, isn't it? But um, he'll certainly have a proper challenge next year at Missouri. Um, okay, so let's, let's move on to uh, the final one. Let's move on to the other coaching change we wanted to talk about. Um, it's uh, one that's widely talked about uh, coming into um, this weekend. Uh, before he was finally hired. But as we know, Willie Taggart was let go from Florida State and Mike Norvell from Memphis is has been hired. Uh, what are your thoughts on Mike Norvell and uh, and the move to Florida State Seminoles? Um, I think it's a good hire. I've, From what my research has and looking at people's, um, the way people talk about him, he seems like one of the best coaches in the nation, like, Memphis consistently have some of the best coach players in the nation. He won 38 games in four years at Memphis. That's pretty impressive. Um, my only issue with it was, wasn't it announced before they played Cincinnati? Was it? I didn't know that. I definitely... Yeah, I believe it was announced, be- well, it was leaked before they played Cincinnati. They then played Cincinnati and just about won. It was like 29-24. Um, I mean, that's, that's got to be bad for your players, hasn't it? I don't know how it got out and how... But do you blame Norvell for jumping from Memphis to Florida State? Who, let's be honest, if you're listening, 
10 schools in the nation that jobs you want, Florida State's in that top 10. Yeah, I think traditionally it certainly has been. They've got some amazing talent locally. Florida really is a hotbed of that. Um, and he is proven to be an amazing coach. You know, if things had gone a little bit differently, uh, back when he had Riley Ferguson as the quarterback last year and the year before, in those unbeaten years um, of the famous UCF sides, um, Memphis was only losing to UCF by a point in each of those games. Like, the average loss was something like, it was less than a score, but it was something like three points uh, over the course of two years. Um, they're an excellent uh, team. They, they were in a really, really tough American conference this year. Uh, only lost that one game to Temple. And even then, that was a, a bit of an outlier. Temple's defense was a really game, uh, put up a good performance. But uh, Memphis put up loads of yards. Um, and they just couldn't, couldn't get it in the end zone. Um, so it was a bit of a weird loss. They could have been unbeaten this year. Um, and those two wins over Cincinnati were amazing. And he's done that year in, year out. One of the most um, interesting and varied offenses you'll ever see. They do everything from five wide, uh, one-step passing game to um, two back to like 22 personnel uh, running kind of belly, classic, you know, wing T kind of plays. They, they do a bit of everything. Um, and Norvell isn't afraid to do what he thinks is right for his players. Um, and what an exciting opportunity to go coach a team like this. Because even if they're not as talented as they have been in the past, it's still going to be by far and away the most talented team he's coached. Um, I'm really excited for them next year. What do you think of their chances in the uh, in the ACC? Their chances are as good as anybody not named Clemson, let's be real. Um, the only thing that really held this team back well, a lot of things held this team back, including bad coaching. But um, their quarterback position is so bad. Like Blackman and Hornibrook just don't do it for me at all. And unless they're going to bring somebody in, he's going to have bad quarterback play. And is Cam Akers going pro, or can he? Was he staying? Like, because he's going to have Cam Akers and Tamarion Terry as his best offensive weapons with bad quarterback play. That doesn't seem like a good recipe to me. It doesn't, and Cam Akers is, uh, is an excellent player, but um, as far as I know, I think he um, he's a junior at the minute, but I uh, wouldn't be surprised if he moved on because he's, he's a guy who's likely to get drafted, although it's an excellent running back class. Um, yeah, I think we're going to have to see. Um, you know, He's done some amazing things at Memphis with quarterbacks who aren't very good, as I mentioned, Riley Ferguson, now Brady White. Um, Brady White was a former... Arizona State guy who transferred over to Memphis. Um, I think we might see that again. I think we might see someone transfer in. Um, but he talk about quarterback friendly. I mean, this offense is uh, remarkable. And um, some of the, the guys who are wide open. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Norvell is the kind of guy that people are talking up as a, as a Lincoln Riley type um, after next season. Um, brilliant hire from my perspective. And, Probably the best decision Florida State have made in years. <laughs> oh, yeah, especially considering there was a report that they wanted Deion Sanders for this position a few weeks ago. It was the most Florida State news I'd ever heard. <laughs> you know, it was just like, what are they doing? But thank, thankfully, thankfully for football everywhere, that was not true. Um, and, uh, and yeah, what a funny one. So, yeah, good luck to Mike Norvell. Good luck to Lane Kiffin. And to Elo Drinkowitz, um, three 
uh, hires at the very least we are interested by uh, and at best we're excited for for next season. Okay, so that's all done with the coaching carousel. Let's finish up. All I think I wanted to do was look forward to kind of the bowl games. Um, I know you've had a look at the Super Six. Is there one of those that you want to pull out as a, um, a bowl game to look forward to? Um, give me two seconds. I'm just going to have to refind it because I lost the uh, thing. Uh, no worries, no worries. If I can um, pull up a few of these um, for you whilst you're you doing that, you know, we've got a couple of big games coming up. Obviously, to talk about the playoffs, uh, mentioned already, we've got um, the LSU versus, um, sorry, yeah, LSU are playing Oklahoma, and uh, we've got um, in the other side, Ohio State against. Um, Clemson, which two obviously fascinating games are going to be really interesting, and, and everyone's looking forward to that. But outside of that, some of the big games as well. Um, Capital One Orange Bowl, we've got Florida, Virginia. Um, going to be interesting, you know, Florida kind of exceeds expectations. Virginia had a pretty strong end of the year, even though they weren't good enough for Clemson. Um, we've got uh, Utah, Texas, going to be a very interesting uh, Alamo Bowl. Um, see what Utah are like versus. A Texas side who's disappointed, really. Um, uh, Citrus Bowl, Michigan, Alabama. Very interesting game. Um, Rose Bowl, Oregon, uh, Wisconsin. Um, Sugar Bowl is one that I think, Thomas, you were hating on a little bit. Georgia Baylor, uh, both teams without quarterbacks. <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, a third-string quarterback against the hobbled Jake Fromm does not do it for me. <laughs> I think that's fair. You know, it's a fair statement, don't get me wrong. Um Okay, so yeah, lots of uh, interesting games there. Which one are you looking forward to most? Out of morbid curiosity, probably Georgia Baylor. But um, outside of that, I mean, Wisconsin, Oregon sounds like it could be fun. But Justin Herbert has, I mean, he's got to prove something based on his Pac 12 tape because it wasn't particularly impressive. And out Wisconsin, I've got a good team. Um, Jonathan Taylor is at the running back. Mm-hmm. Yep. He has got a job against Oregon's defense if they turn up like they did against Utah. Um, just, just seeing these two completely different offenses, like one wants to put the ball in the air and the other one just wants to pound it. Uh, that sounds like a fun spectacle to me. Um, but like I said, it's all on Justin Herbert because I really wasn't impressed with his Pac-12 championship game. And he's, what, QB2 with two attacker by lower being injured? He needs yeah, to I show think- more. I think he is. I think you're right. It's kind of a good opportunity because that Wisconsin defense, uh, we didn't really talk about the Ohio State game, but, um, you know, uh, it really was a a fantastic first half for Wisconsin. They came out flying. They put out a really good effort and made Justin Fields' life very hard. If they do that against Justin Herbert, I think everyone right now is thinking that Justin Herbert probably wouldn't be able to cope with that. Um, I think one of the good things to take away from this is that he didn't do anything wrong versus Utah. You know, yes, he wasn't amazing, but he didn't do anything wrong. Um, big stage for him against a very good defense. And, uh, you know, both these teams will be disappointed in their season, but they've got an opportunity now to show up in the Rose Bowl. Um, let's see what they can do because, um, you know, uh, some good players on display, some, some guys who are all excited to see, uh, see put up a good performance. Um, who do you think is going to win it? For me, I think I think Wisconsin's uh, lines are going to be a bit too strong. Yeah, I think Wisconsin as well. But like you said, their lines are strong, and not to harp on Herbert, but it's 
two biggest games so far this season were against Auburn. He was bad against um, Utah. He wasn't particularly good. And now he's going up against the Wisconsin team that probably has a better all-around defense than both of them. And they both had good defenses. So um, give me Wisconsin every time. Just give me Jonathan Taylor pounding the rock up the middle because I can watch that all day. <laughs> yeah, I think I can watch that all day as well, actually. He's a fun player to watch, isn't he? Um, so a couple of ones that I was going to talk about... Um, I really wanted to watch Memphis-Penn State. That actually was the one I was so excited about. Uh, Penn State have had a really good year, even though there's a couple of losses in there. Um, and Memphis have just been electric. So great opportunity to watch them against a better side. Uh, but Norvell has come out and said he won't be coaching the Cotton Bowl. Um, so that's a real shame for me. I, I wish the news would have come out later because, honestly, that would have been um, a great performance. And now I can't see them being quite as competitive without him on the sideline. Um, uh, I hate that for the kids, though. Like, uh, shame, isn't it? coach one more game. What? What? What's the difference? Like, these kids have put their bodies on the line for him all season, and then because he's got a bigger job, he's just going to say, "No, I'm not coaching it anymore." If a, like we we slate players who were going pro for skipping their bowl games, like a, a lot of people think Alabama players are going to that are going to go pro, and they're getting slated. Yet yeah, it's okay for a coach to do the same thing. Um, and he's the one who's making millions of dollars. That doesn't seem particularly fair to me. It doesn't, no. And, and that's a bit of a shame. Um, I think from his perspective, he said it wouldn't be... Um, he didn't think it'd be right for him um, to do it. So I'm not going to... Uh, you know, I'm not going to do it. But yeah, I, I agree. Um, so another one which is going to be just pure fascination is uh, Air Force versus Washington State. You got the flex bone versus the uh, the true air raid. I mean, what an unbelievable matchup that will be um, in the Cheez It Bowl over in Arizona. You know, two totally, totally different styles, and um, I can't think of a more interesting matchup uh, than that. Uh, I'm honestly fascinated to see it. One team trying to take the air out of the ball and run it run it down the uh, other's throat, and then Mike Leach on the other side has just agreed to a you know a contract extension at Washington State. It will be throwing it around with Anthony Gordon. Um, going to be fascinating. I'm really, really interested in that. That's um, 28th of December, so a bit after Christmas. Um, yes, that's it. You know, our kind of bowl games we're looking forward to there. Um, the only thing I suppose I wanted to mention other than that before we sign off is um, don't forget there is actually technically one more uh, non-bowl game um, to go ahead, and that's this Saturday. It's 8pm uh, UK time. And that is Army Navy. Um, uh, Army Navy is um, honestly one of the biggest spectacles in football every year. I know it sounds like maybe I'm bringing it up too much, but honestly, I don't think it is because if anyone wants to go on YouTube and type in 2017 Army versus Navy, um, you will watch, in, uh, from my perspective, the greatest game of football I've ever seen. It was a snowball. You had two uh, amazing, not just football teams, but... Um, you know, prestigious organisations who have so much pride and care and uh, the whole stadium's buzzing. There was about a foot of snow. Um, maybe the, the rumour is it's not going to be quite that, that bad weather this, this time, but um, really looking forward to this game as I am every year. You ever watched an Army-Navy game before, Thomas? Uh, no, never. Um, I mean, it sounds fun. I'm going to check out that, that game. But <laughs> no, um, I'll make sure I tune into that as well because I need something to watch and that sounds hell of fun go check out that 2017 one as well if you uh, you have the time because uh, one of the greatest games of football you'll ever see 
Um, yeah. So that's it. That's everything from us today. Um, you know, we, uh, we're, we're without our fearless leader, Lee. So I haven't got the, the full breakdown of, of where you should go other than check out full 10 yards on, on Twitter and, uh, and on our website as well. Um, uh, what's your uh, Twitter handle there, Thomas? Um, it's at Robery underscore. So Robery's R-O-W-B-E-R-R-Y underscore. And for me, it's at a winning smile with underscores in between each word. Um, thanks for uh, listening and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the podcast. For all your football needs, check out our website, full10yards.com, or follow us on Twitter at full10yards CFB. And remember, keep those eyes peeled.